So welcome to the Global Discussion, discussions with creatives, leaders and thinkers. Today I'm joined by Billy Dees. You're very welcome to the podcast, Billy. And before we get into it, I'd like to ask you to introduce yourself to our international audience. Tell us a little about a little bit about your journey, how you got into the world of audio, radio production, and uh, maybe share a little bit about yourself with our audience. So over to you, Billy. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. This is like the global interview. So this is like fantastic. <laughs> um, and I mean, not sincerely. I mean, audio is becoming a, a big thing and all around the world. Uh, there's been a, a renaissance, if you will, of uh, audio. And uh, that's fantastic. I'm a big proponent of the idea that the spoken word is an art form. And um, there's, I did an interview uh, for another company here a couple of weeks ago, and it was a guy sharing his journey of addiction and he got very personal. And after that interview, I even, I even made the remark that had we done video, it wouldn't have come off that way. I mean, he, you know, your voice goes just a few inches into a microphone and right into someone's ear and all the passion, all the regret, all of the the heartache that he know that he knows he caused his family and and uh, the heartache that he caused for himself, this was all contained in his voice. And I'm a big proponent of that. And not every episode that you're going to do is going to unlock secrets of the universe. That's not what I'm saying. But I do believe there's that aspect of audio that that doesn't get the respect that it deserves. And that's the one downside with everybody jumping on the bandwagon with audio is that uh, there seems to be a tendency to do videos and a lot of other things and just strip the audio off and throw it onto a podcast. And uh, cable people, uh, you know, television shows do exactly the same thing. They start a they start a podcast and all they really do is repurpose their audio. And that's really not to me what podcasting is. That's not what audio content is. To answer your question, I would probably say that I got involved with doing this kind of work many, many years ago. I don't know what it was, what it's like in your part of the world, but back in the 1970s and the 1980s, when I was a little, a uh, little kid, audio in terms of stereo equipment was a big deal. I mean, audio files were the thing. I mean, especially for for boys. You know, you you had a car and it had so many horsepower in the engine and you had a stereo system and it was kazoodles of watts and my speakers were bigger than your speakers and all these other kind of things, you know? And uh, I got in, in, in tune with the electronics of that um, at a very young age. My dad was probably a, a good person to get me started into that. So I actually started working as a teenager, going around to people's homes, setting up their stuff, fixing problems that they had and I, it just kept growing from there. Um, and I always kind of say being middle-aged is, is a good, at this time, a good time period to be in because I was brought up with the electronics of audio, you know, the hot microphone placement, speaker placement, the resistance, signal flow, all these other things. And I was weaned in uh, at the very early days of when digital started coming in. And I say that's a good combination because I've noticed that people who are particularly young in, in the creative fields rely on software way too much to fix problems and do things that they shouldn't be doing with the software. That's not what software is for. 
you should, if whether you're a photographer, uh, audio person, whatever, you should be doing your best to take the best pictures possible. Learn your craft, learn what lenses to use, learn composition, learn lighting, all these other things. And then you use software to edit. You don't use software to make a bad picture good. That's not what it's for. By the same token, people who are much older than me, um, who've been in the business for a long time, and I know a lot of them, they don't like computers, you know, and one of the things that computer and digital technology can do much better than when I first started was edit. A lot of times, a lot of the music that we listened to from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, when that was remixed, when you have a band or you have something, there's the drums on various tracks, lead guitar on various tracks, lead singer, backup singers, all on various tracks. And to get that right, they would mix it down. But what they were really doing, and same with video, quite frankly, is they were making precision copies. They had a multi-track play, go through a mixer, get everything balanced out the way they wanted it to, and then transferred it to a master track, which became the record, became this, you know, the cassette or whatever it was that you were doing. And that was, by its very nature, second generation. Okay, and one of the things that computer technology can do very, very well for you is give you the opportunity to mix down what are essentially first generation tracks, and you have that composition done uh, in, in the digital realm, so to speak. And that's where the older guys that uh, kind of shove the computer stuff aside uh, are really missing a, a, a big opportunity to make their stuff better. And even their, their old stuff that when you hear about things being remastered, that's what a lot of the recorders, especially during the 1970s were very good. And the stuff that recorded the carpenters and all that stuff, those, those machines were awesome. Uh, now we can take those original uh, multi-track tapes, transfer them to video and remix them down and essentially have a first generation mix down. So to me, those two worlds um, are important. A lot of times I've noticed a lot of young folks with a software that's trying to emulate something that I know they've never touched <laughs> in the real world, some sort of a mixer or something. Um, and you have a much better understanding when you, when you know what the software is trying to emulate. And at the, by the same token, on the other side of the coin, you can do much better in, in the digital side of things, especially in post-production. So somebody like myself, I kind of feel has the best of both worlds as a creator. And I've been able to merge those two things. Thanks. I don't know if that's Thank too you. much information. You're probably no, sorry that's, you asked. That's, that's wonderful, Billy. And it, it is um, interesting when you can see both sides of that coin, you can see sort of, I'm going to use the word analog. It's probably not the right word, but the sort of more sure. mechanical side of things. And then the, the explosion, I suppose, of software and just the sheer cost of having a recording studio years ago or booking time in a studio mm -hmm. was quite cost prohibitive. And yet now technology has helped people from a production perspective, to your point, but also a distribution perspective. When we look at how the Internet is compared to saying having to like I'm thinking of radio stations across the US where they'd be self-funded, they'd have to put the mast up, they'd have to get the license, they'd have to pay people. So it's a very different landscape today, isn't it, audio? Absolutely. The, the whole, uh, the idea of media is is completely different. And, it, and it's a double-edged sword when you talk about uh, the ease of production. Now, I would have to say that the professional stuff is still better 
what you would call the really costly professional stuff is still better, but the margin of quality uh, between what you would call consumer goods and professional goods is much smaller now. It used to be to make that leap, you know, that was, uh, you know, miles ahead. The pro stuff was miles ahead of what you're going to get in, 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 in terms of the consumer market. That's not true anymore. It still costs more, sure, and it's still better, but you would be surprised. A lot of the consumer grade or semi-pro gear, as they call it, uh, does an excellent job. Now, the downside to that, you were talking about distribution. It's a great thing that everybody has access, but it's also bad that everybody has access because your competition is literally in the hundreds of millions, depending on what you're doing uh, worldwide. I mean, there's millions upon millions of people that are putting their stuff out there. So to to stand out is also very difficult. Yeah, it's certainly a noisy, busy landscape. And Billy, yes. before we get off the, the the sort of topic of how you got into audio, yeah, um, you you do a number of things in this audio editing production world. So could you maybe just share a little bit about? Because obviously you've got your own podcast, you're involved in a couple of companies. Could you maybe just explain those a little bit for people listening? Sure. Um, I, I guess my first love is, you know, as a creator, you know, if you talk to a filmmaker, he's going to say his first love is, you know, telling stories. And I enjoy creating and I also enjoy the technical aspect of it. And that's also a balance that you don't get every day. Um, a lot of people are, are, are much better technicians than I am per se. And there's probably a lot of creative people out there, you know, the kind of people that are going to cut their ear off out of frustration. I'm somewhere in the middle, you know, um, and in this business, in this day and age, it's a, it's a good thing to have a little uh, bit of a skill in both. So I try to incorporate my, my love of electronics, my love of microphones, my love of audio uh, into that creative process. So when I have an idea, when I have a concept that I wanted to do, or when I approach an interview, I, I can kind of mend those two worlds. So that's kind of my creative process there. That's, that's the fun of it, but you can't always make business. You can't always make money having fun. Um, so I often work for other people. I have uh, a regular uh, job, as they say, I work in marketing and a lot of what I do is involved uh, for the company that I work for is, uh, you know, this type of stuff, creating uh, training videos, creating uh, videos for their social media uh, creating a, we, for some local television uh, cable stuff, uh, we've we've done a lot of programs for that. So it, it's dry work a lot of times. A lot of times I'm doing a you know training material with a with a doctor or a nurse or or a clinician of some kind. I don't even know what they're talking about. Um, but the idea is is you have to put that aside. You know th th this is what I am doing for somebody else, and it same go it same goes uh, for their uh, for the podcast that I help edit for the podcast that I help produce. I also work for myself and I'm probably more of um, a kind of a, a, a technical guide for a lot of those places. A lot of these places that hire me, quite frankly, don't want to be in the podcasting business. They don't want to be in the audio business. All they know is, is they want it to sound good. They want it to sound like, you know, what you hear on the radio. So they hire somebody like me um, and they don't have to, do in-house training. They don't have to invest in equipment, all these other kind of things. It's kind of like the old adage, you know, you ask somebody rich, I know how to mow my lawn, but I'm not going to do it. <laughs> That's kind of like, um, you know, what, what, how you will get hired as a creator a lot of times is, you know, people are focused on, on what brings them money. They don't want to get involved in the audio business. They want somebody like me to do it. 
Um, and a lot of uh, people feel that that's some sort of a compromise, but I don't think so at all. I think you're helping somebody tell their story. You're doing what you do best. And you may have creative uh, disagreements with them. And there's a lot of times when I might say, you know what, I'm not sure I would do that. But once I get overridden, that's it. I mean, they're they're paying me to do what they want to do. So you really have to fall into a supportive role. And you can't uh, get negative when somebody overrides you and say, well, all right, if this is how you want to do it, we'll see how it comes out. That's the wrong attitude. You got to take that concept, whether you like it or not, and make it as best as possible. That's how you serve your clients. And you help them tell their story in the way that they want to do it. So you really have to separate your creative side from what you do as a creator when you're in the process of making money. Because when you're charging somebody to do something, it's a it's a whole different thing. And that's how creators, uh, a lot of times, uh, you know, in terms of, uh, we hear so much about directors a lot of times. They didn't like what the studio was doing and they walked off. Well, I, you know, that's fine. Um, but at some point, you have to do what the people who are financing the project want to do. I won't let somebody walk off a cliff naturally, but there comes a point when you, you got to put your own personal views aside. So to answer your question, what I do for other people is I help f facilitate whatever it is that they're doing. A lot of times that can be an outreach program, which here again, that's pretty dry stuff. A lot of times people do have you know a, a podcast that they're very passionate about their material. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm there to make sure that they don't have to worry about clicking too many buttons. All they have to worry about is their content. Well, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, yeah. knowing your expertise, um, we know each other a little bit behind the yes. scenes and I'm sure you bring an awful lot of that knowledge, history, expertise to the party. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense to. for a lot of businesses. I, I get mm -hmm. that. And before we move off this topic, just one last quick thing, if I can, Billy, Obviously, this is being recorded. Um, there's lots of different tools out there to get better audio, uh, but this is going to be a video and an audio podcast. And some yeah. podcast um, sort of aficionados would say, oh, it should be pure audio. It shouldn't include video. That's not really a podcast. Then you've got the whole social audio side of things, which got very popular very quickly. And then kind of a it's kind of a shifting landscape now i'm just wondering on your thoughts when it comes to the you know pure podcasting what what are you, what's your thoughts on that pure podcasting is in uh, audio only is that what you mean uh, versus video yeah exactly yeah okay it, it can de it, it depends on the content um like ex uh, for example that video that uh, podcast that i did a couple of weeks ago where where the guy was sharing his journey of, of addiction Quite frankly, I'm not even sure that that would have come off as well in, in video. And if it did, he, he might not have shown some of the sides that he did speaking in just audio. And with audio as a creator, you really have to remember that we are essentially vocal creatures, you know, um, and with audio, you have the ability to speak, use your inflection use the passion in your voice, use your vocabulary, lose, use every tool that you have at your disposal uh, to tell that story. You can't rely on your looks for better or for worse. Uh, extremely attractive won't help you. If you're a comedian, a lot of uh, comedians aren't necessarily the best looking people and they've, they've, they've used that in their comedy, right? Uh, but that's great, but it won't help you if you're on the radio. You, you can't rely on anything except the spoken word. And um, I think that that is the ideal case 
for using audio. A lot of times trauma victims and people like that that I've interviewed, I just don't feel that those that those would have come off as well uh, being video. But on the other hand, uh, you know, there's times when we'll do a real fun interview of some kind uh, where it's it's just, uh, you know, uh, you don't hear this too much, but like in, in the radio world, we'll talk about riffing and we'll just have some current events, some things that are in the news and we'll just make remarks about it, make observations, make jokes. Uh, and in that kind of thing, uh, you know, video is great. Uh, there's nothing wrong with doing video at all. I have a lot of uh, uh, publishers contact me in regard to having their uh, their authors on the podcast, and one of the things they'll say is, "Well, we want our 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 author to be seen, so that you know they want something that they can feature on their website or whatever. They want a YouTube video or whatever. So you, these are things that I you can't necessarily bypass video. I, I just think that it's it's too much of a useful tool. YouTube is the second biggest uh, search engine there is." So I don't know that you can ignore that. But with that being said, a lot of times what I will do when I have an author on the podcast is I will process that audio differently. I will record the audio in something like a, you know, a roadcaster or some sort of a digital recorder. And I'll give that audio a little bit more uh, radio grit when I put it out in the podcast form for audio. Video, I will you know, tweak it just a little bit different to be more YouTube friendly. And what I will also do is tell the uh, the guest, hey, look, we're going to record video, but make sure you don't rely on visualizations. Don't hold the book up and show it to the camera. Don't do anything like that, because most of my listens anyway, I mean, it's it's I'm not even sure what the ratio is, but my audio listens are very high as opposed to here locally. A lot of times I'll put things on, on uh, Facebook. And those do pretty well, but my uh, my audio listens are through the roof. The only reason we're doing video is so that you can feature it on your website, or we can take snippets of it and you know feature it as little teasers in, in social media. So um, you know the I would say that I do video, but I also am very conscious of the audio listener because that's where my audience is. So it kind of really has to depend on uh, you know you as a creator. Um, I do feel there's a place for dedicated audio creators and dedicated audio content in general, but I don't believe that by the same token, you can ignore video. It's just too powerful of a tool. Yeah, hundred percent, buddy. Thanks. It's, um, it's interesting what you say when you talk about radio, uh, production, like live radios, um, production that goes out over the airwaves or digital radios. It is now, I suppose. Um, quite often you'll see, particularly the large commercial uh, organizations will have cameras and live stream yes. the show or live stream the um, the person hosting whatever the breakfast show or drive time or whatever mm -hmm. it is. And that's become more and more of a, a phenomenon with audio. But going back to what you said initially as well about the recording you did recently, there's something very personal when it when it goes into your, your earphones, you know, whether mm -hmm. they're over, over the head or whether a pair of earbuds that you're putting in there's something very personal about audio, isn't there? It's, it's a real yes. direct to consumer. Yeah. It goes straight in. It goes straight in. Uh, with video, uh, the audio, the microphone is, is placed, it's hidden somewhere. Um, and, or it's with the camera worse yet. Um, that's one of the things that, uh, as a, as a multimedia specialist, I always tell people it sounds odd, but one of the things that can really make it for a bad video is bad audio. And quite frankly, a lot of video creators use audio as kind of like a necessary evil. That's how they consider it. 
Oh yeah, you know, get the lighting just right, you know, get your hair just right, and all this other stuff just right. Oh yeah, I guess we got to get a microphone on. Um, so yeah, I, I believe that because of the distance involved with a camera, because of all these other things, um, the fact that you can bring in 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 the classic case where you have some sort of a decent mic, and I'll tell the creators out there, it doesn't necessarily have to be expensive. You know, we talked a little bit to, uh, in this interview about. Uh, moderately priced stuff as opposed to expensive stuff. You don't necessarily have to go expensive. But one of the nice things about having uh, a, an actual microphone in front of somebody's mouth is to capture some of that, um, to capture what's called the proximity effect, which I am a big believer in. You know, this microphone, if I'm standing across the room and I can and I can talk to you, you it'll still hear it. You, you can hear the audio, but there's a certain magic when you get close. You know, there's a certain... The way the voice comes through, it's like somebody's leaning over and talking to you. And that's what I really, really like. So I always try to bring that in, even when I add a video component, if that answers your question. It does, Billy. Thank you. And I'm also conscious of time, and I don't want to keep you too long, but I want to squeeze in a few quick questions if I can now. All right. So changing gear a little bit. Obviously, to become this um, audio guru, that would be the, the term I'd use for you. Um, you know, you're a specialist at what you do, but when it comes to reading, I like to ask people what sort of books they read or for you, is it white papers, documents, or is it a particular author or a particular genre that interests you? When it comes to books, here's what's happened to me. Uh, because of the fact that I get approached by so many authors and so many publishers, I have to read a certain amount of them or at least parts of them to get an idea of the tone. So with that being said, I don't know that I've done a lot of recreational reading, and I was never one to read, uh, sit down, and actually get consumed with a book for a period of weeks. I do do a lot of surfing. Uh, I like the, the real news sites, not so much social media. Um, there's a few blogs that I do check in on, and I, I'm not going to get political at all, but I'm a, very much a proponent of not just following the people that you like. Uh, that's one of the problems in the United States, and I presume throughout, uh, you know, your part of the world as well, the UK and other places. Uh, you know, people are in their bubbles now. We follow the people that we like, and consequently, what happens is what you already believe is reinforced. And what we'll do is not only not follow people that we don't agree with, but we'll block them. We'll make sure that their opinion or any facts that they happen to have don't interfere with what we've already decided. So um, I really take some time, especially I think it makes me a more well-rounded commentator. Uh, when, you know, I'll do various interviews. Some people lean left, some people lean right. Um, some people, you know, they claim to be independents and all these other things, which is fantastic. I think we need more of that. I think we need more free thinking. Um, but I have a basic knowledge of uh, the world as it's presented, uh, you know, through a number of different lesen, uh, lenses. And that gives me an opportunity uh, to be a better interviewer. And that's probably what I spend most of my time doing when I have some downtime between projects, or whatever, I'll pop something up. I'll go to Fox News and then I'll go to CNN. And if you're not from the United States, you know, Fox is uh, considered by leftists to be a notorious right wing site. And the MSNBC and other places by our considered by the right to be uh, left uh, left wing wackos <laughs> so somewhere in between the truth has a tendency to emerge and i know when i've pissed off both sides i know i'm right <laughs> 
Well, I think um, having a balanced view, and particularly uh, obviously this being the global discussion, having a global yes. view, it is very easy. And I, I've seen that happening very small geographies too where people get very they almost look inward on themselves yeah and they don't look at it through a global lens or they don't take on additional um inputs and one one great piece of advice i got many many years ago was that whenever you had a bit of downtime or a little bit of time off or a vacation try to read things that are not in your field that are absolutely completely, something that you would never pick up something that you'd never buy just yeah. go just go and choose two or three titles like that whether it's a book or a magazine sure. what about what about audiobooks billy do, are you a fan of audiobooks do you think the the person reading them brings it to life being a absolutely uh, yes yeah. absolutely and and I, I let me follow up on one one thing this applies to podcasts or anything else a lot of people won't listen to a podcast because I'm not interested in that. Try listening to one that talks about something that you're not normally interested in. Uh, it might open up your world. And a lot of times you might turn it off after a few minutes, but by the same token, you, you might be surprised. Um, audiobooks are an interesting beast. Um, my wife listens to them quite often. I think for the most part uh, in this busy world, especially when people are commuting and doing other things, it's really nice to be able to listen to a book and not have to sit down and read it. And a lot of people who have been reading for a lot of years, you know, they've suffered from eye strain and need glasses and this, not and the other thing. So, you know, it makes it easy just to relax and listen to a good book. I don't feel that listening to a book uh, takes anything away from, you know, reading it. I don't think it works the other way around. I think there's a certain magic as a writer when you're actually typing something out as opposed to dictating it. I don't know that dictation programs, the magic gets lost. You know, I can speak a certain thing, but if I type it out into a paragraph and go back and fix it and tweak it, there's a certain magic that happens there. Um, and I think that people who rely on dictation to do their writing then have another editor go back and fix all the little problems. I think they, they're missing something in their creative process when they do that. I have been approached about doing audiobooks, and sometimes the money's fairly decent. However, you earn it. Um, you know, if you think about your average book and how long it takes you to casually read it, you know, let's say it's anywhere between a half a dozen to a dozen hours, five, six to 12 hours to read a book. And you do that over the course of, you know, a week or two or whatever. After work, you read a few chapters or while you're trying to go to sleep or whatever. Okay. So you have to keep in mind that in real time, it takes 12 hours to read that book. Now, speaking it would logically take every bit of 12 hours, but you know, you're not going to read an entire book perfectly. Uh, a lot of times uh, voiceover actors will read the book several times before they go into the studio. And then you're gonna go several page, uh, passages or pages at a time and, uh, you know, you're talking about hours upon hours of painstaking work. And in my case, I would also have to produce it. I could do it better if I had somebody else doing the recording and running all the, you know, looking at all the blinking lights. Uh, but to do both would be extremely painstaking. And it would take so much time from the other things that I'm doing. Quite frankly, I've never wanted to to jump into that. Um, but I do get offers every once in a while. And I'll tell you what, it's an emerging uh, area of business. If you feel you have a good voice and uh, you want to you know, get into that business, a lot of times now their equipment will make a difference. A lot of times 
Uh, but places that contract this type of stuff out will ask you what you're using. They'll want to know what kind of microphone you're using, what software you're using, and so on, uh, just to make sure that you're not using <laughs> A fifty dollar, um, you know, online special somewhere uh, to record a, a book that's costing thousands upon thousands of dollars to publish. Um, but uh, aside from that, uh, once you get past that, uh, you can make a good living doing that, and a lot of people do, or at least supplement. I don't know about a good living; some people can, but you can at least supplement it. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who week, are weekend warriors. That's what they do on on their weekends, man. Is they they record these audiobooks. And uh, there's a big, in, in this digital world, a lot of people want voice work now. In my day, when I first started, the only people that wanted voice work were radio stations and sometimes video production companies. Uh, but now, hey, you know, everybody needs voice work. And uh, there's so many ways that you can get involved in that if you wish to do so. Yeah. Thanks for those views, Billy. Very helpful. Um, so uh, when you look over your career to date or the journey you're on, or maybe looking outside, even outside of the sort of area of, of expertise that you have. Is there anybody that you admire or, you know, anybody that sort of inspired you along the way? You know, uh, in the radio business, and this is going to sound very harsh, when I first started back in like the late 80s, I'm not going to give my age away, but uh, when I was driving around what were called carts, they, I, I used to make voiceovers and uh, things that were were recorded on what was called a half track it was a real type of real reel, And then you would take it to the radio station and transfer it to what was called a cart. And it would work very similar to what an eight track does, except it wasn't eight tracks. And you would load, preload the, there would be a stack of them and you would preload all your commercials and everything for the next break in this cart machine. And in, in those days, uh, egos, and I, I would guess that the radio business hasn't changed that much. The egos and the amount of help that you will get in that world are, are very, very few and far between. Um, however, there, there were some really good ones. Um, there was one uh, major, and, and I don't know if, that, if this can exist in, in modern times, but back in the 90s, the idea of a, a very successful radio DJ was still very possible. And there was one. Uh, that uh, as enormous as he was in terms of the listenership that he had in the morning, um, he was always, he never talked down to anyone. He always treated people with respect. When he did personal appearances, he treated everyone so nicely. And I ended up doing some work at that station and um, I worked really hard on, on a, an advertisement one day. I was in my studio and I had a, a four track uh, tape recorder and I laid the music down and I laid this down, sound effects in there and I made sure my voice was just perfect and blah, 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 blah. And I was all excited. And I went to him and I said, hey, what do you think of this? And he goes, well, I got to tell you, Billy, man, it sounds like you really worked hard on this. And I was like, all right. And he goes, it shouldn't sound like that. <laughs> and uh, he explained to me that, you know, you, you just need to sound like this was easy. You're just talking to somebody and telling them about something. And uh, it changed. I've, I've always kind of had that in the back of my mind um, when I'm doing stuff. I know people really like to do a lot of research, really like to fill their podcast with a lot of statistics and a lot of other things. And we, it's, it, it, at times, you got to put your effort into being a good communicator, not in being perfect. And um, I, that's kind of a, a little strategy that I've always kind of carried with me ever since that happened. Well, that's, that's some great advice. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. 
And what about what about today, Billy? As you look forward, we're you know we're, we're recording this. We're going into another another new year. Yeah. Uh, what are you passionate about over the next twelve months? What are you thinking about? I'm very lucky to. I mentioned my uh, day work, um, and I'm very lucky to work for a nonprofit that does a lot of good in the community. Um, and this is in regard to mental health and addiction and other things. And over the years since I've worked for them, I've gotten in, in touch with a number of other uh, nonprofits. And I got to say that uh, the nonprofit world, there's nothing wrong. I want to be very clear. I'm, I'm, I'm a capitalist, you know, American, hate me as much as you want. <laughs> um, but uh, there's nothing wrong with a for-profit company, okay? Uh, the world wouldn't be the same without Steve Jobs. The world would not be the same without Henry Ford. Uh, and these were, you know, same with Bill Gates and a lot of other people. These were flawed individuals, I'm sure, to some degree. But um, without them, the world that we have today wouldn't have its its current form. So I, 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 I'm all about for-profit companies and, and their success. And I've, I've done a lot of work for for-profit companies. But over the last 10, I can tell you, you you come home with a different feeling. Um, I, I went to a, uh, a a little picnic about a year or so ago that one of the nonprofits held, and a counselor came over to me and said, "See that family over there," and um, that the, the father of that family um, was near death. Uh, he he was uh, suffering from uh, suicidal ideation uh horrible depression um horrible uh addiction uh, and all these things coincided one thing fed another bad thing you know you just it just kept going down the ladder and he was able to get help through the nonprofit and those parent those children have a complete family because of the work that I am helping them do I don't I'm not a, I'm not one of the people that's on the front line I'm not I'm not an infantryman um, I just talk about it. And I, I got to say, a lot of times these counselors are up against it. They're up against people who don't want to be helped. Uh, they're up against people who a lot of times don't realize that you're trying to help them and they resent you for it. And a lot of times there, a lot of successes don't happen uh, where, at, at their job. But there's, there's that moment when, you know, somebody has their family intact, their loved ones are here, their children are here, their, their parents are here, their brothers and sisters are here, and they're at that picnic, and they're eating hot dogs, and they're throwing frisbees because of the work that these institutions do. And I, I think there's, that's a value. I, a lot of the people that work for these types of uh, organizations don't make the amount of money that they would in the private sector. Quite frankly, they're there because they want to be there. They're there because they believe in the mission. And um, I'm very passionate about that. Um, and I, I, I could tell you a lot of these counselors and stuff have some amazing stories about um, what has happened in, in the recovery community and what we do for the homeless a lot of times in this area as well. Um, and these are things that don't get celebrated. You know, we, we celebrate professional athletes, we celebrate entertainers, we ce celebrate a lot of other things, but we don't really celebrate these people who are working a job. They went to school for a lot of years. They became a medical professional. And now they're working at a place where they're making maybe a half or three quarters of what they could be at a private practice because they want to help people. Uh, these people are real heroes. And I'm very proud to work alongside them and help them. 
Yeah, I, I, I understand that. I've done a bit of work and worked with some nonprofits over the years quite closely. Yeah. And um, you're right. The, the, the money comparison uh, compared to what some of these individuals could make in the private sector uh, in my part of the world is, is very, very different. Yeah. Uh, although charities are, uh, and nonprofits are heavily scrutinized now. Um, really? Know, a lot hmm. of financial rigor. Uh, that's been applied because there have been a number, uh, you know, and you know, a couple of bad, a couple of bad actors spoil it for for a lot of other people. Yeah, unfortunately, but, uh, that happens. Yeah, it seems to be getting better uh, in various uh, geographies. But um, yeah, you're you're right, and I, I think it, it is interesting when you uh, listen to those stories, you start to really appreciate. At least I did. You start to really appreciate what's important. Yes, um, and it brings a different level of meaning, and it you know. Um, as somebody that was never involved in that world, it uh, it opened yeah. up a lot of uh, a lot of new perspectives. I think would be yeah. the best way I describe it. Yeah, sure. And that comes with age. Uh, Maybe, I mean, when I was yeah. yeah, when I was 22, 23 years old, I I don't, I don't think I was ever a shallow person, but I was I was I wanted people to know my name. You know, I'm a disc jockey. You know, uh, and that's not really that important to me anymore. Um, I I think now the compassion side has become the priority. Um, and uh, being around people who who feel the same way and work in the community and help other people that those are special relationships. And I'm very, very, very pleased to have, have gotten involved in that in the last five to 10 years. Well, thank you for sharing that with us today, Billy. Look, before we wrap up, I want to mm -hmm. make sure I ask you that for anybody who wants to get in touch with you and all the wonderful projects you're involved in, where the best place to find you is and also to give you an opportunity if you wanted to share anything that maybe we haven't touched on today before we wrap up. Uh, just be kind. Uh, that that's, uh, sounds like a cliche, but, uh, you know, just be kind. Uh, that's, that's all there is to it. That's, that's the meaning of life right there. Just be kind. Uh, in terms of uh, finding me, uh, I don't have a lot of variations on my name. It's just Billy D's. That's B-I-L-L-Y-D-E-E-S. And uh, kind of my social media home, at least for the, for the, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on on Twitter right now, but uh, Twitter has always kind of fit podcasting very well because of the fact that it is so trending. Anything that's happening immediately, anything that's happening in real time, I would say that Twitter is for the most part the place to be. And it's really built for podcasting and causes and uh, communities and things like that. So if you, you can find me on Twitter at Billy D's. Um, there's also any type of social media that I'm on here again. I don't have a lot of variations to my name. It's just the Billy D's podcast or, or just Billy D's. So feel free to follow me, search me out. Same with the podcast. The Billy D's podcast is available just about on all the major podcasting networks. So I'm not hard to find. Thanks very much for sharing that, Billy. And be kind. I think that's a wonderful message to end on. Yeah. So look, that, that brings us to the end of this episode with Billy D's on the global discussion. Thanks so much for watching uh, both Billy and I and whether you've been watching or listening be sure to follow like and subscribe I hope you do tune in for more uh, discussions with creatives leaders and thinkers so thank you Billy it's been a pleasure well thank you for having me and I'm very excited to have been here thank you